Brandon Gold Fantasy Podcast. I'm Calvin, your host, here with you as always. And in today's show, I will be giving a bold take my eighth of the offseason and then previewing the NFC South for fantasy football in 2022. I'm on vacation right now, which is why I don't have my mic with me, but still recording both shows this week. So be sure to check this one out and also the NFC West preview that's in your feed. No guests this week. I'm sure I'll have some more over the rest of this offseason, but it's going to be a great show nonetheless. I'm going to get you all the information you need about these four teams for fantasy football. So be sure to follow me on Twitter, of course, as always, at Calvin underscore SGF, at SGF pod for the podcast. Send in your fantasy questions over there. Also, if you're on Twitter, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, be sure to get on there tonight or that night tonight, if it's Wednesday, at 8 p.m. Eastern, because I will be doing a Twitter space for fantasy football talk. It's going to be a lot of fun trying to do those maybe weekly eight o'clock on Wednesdays until the season begins. So I'm really excited for that. And you guys can hop on as guests to ask questions. Feel free to hop in and request the mic. I'll have a live Twitter chat thread where you can drop your chats as well. Or if you want to hop on and talk fantasy, happy to have you. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm sure it's only going to get, more fun as the season approaches and as more people jump back into fantasy football and it's time because you know it's august it's fantasy time you know it's fantasy time when you watch espn and all they have is the fantasy football marathon that means it's fantasy time and that means we're taking over so let's get into it first bold take eight three more left this offseason i decided to go with one that's spicy one that involves guys near the top and one that involves a guy I haven't even like talked about that much, but I am rising on him big time. And it's Cortland Sutton of the Denver Broncos. At the wide receiver 18 on Fantasy Pros, he's going to be a top 12 fantasy receiver next year. I'll start with this by saying that I think Cortland Sutton's the clear wide receiver one in Denver. I think he's better than Jerry Judy. I think he's a better downfield threat, a good possession receiver. Judy's a good route runner for sure. He hasn't really taken off in the NFL over his first two years. We've seen Sutton have that elite season. So I think Sutton's the guy here, and I think he's going to be fit for Russell Wilson, who is a huge upgrade here in Denver. Sutton has played with terrible QBs his whole life, and this just feels like that receiver every year, that veteran receiver that we kind of just miss. Either he's gone to a new team or has some sort of upgrade, and he feels like a guy we're just not talking about enough. Because he has really all the opportunity in the world. I don't see why he can't finish ahead of the wide receiver 12, T. Higgins, who's the wide receiver 2 on his own team. Cortland Sutton's with an elite quarterback, one who was hurt last year. Now Russell Wilson's going to be behind an even better offensive line and going to energize this offense. It feels so much like Cooper Cup last year to where just nobody was talking about it. But when you look back, it's like, wow, this guy was ranked at the wide receiver 20. He just got Matthew Stafford, and he had had a wide receiver 4 season in the past. Like, I don't know what we were thinking in terms of that. Of course, Sutton didn't have a wide receiver four season, but he has had good years. And I mean, he had a one really good year just a couple of years ago. I'm trying to find the exact finish for that. But like the point being, he's done it before and he's done it with bad quarterbacks. Like not even just Jared Goff bad, like Drew Locke bad. That's a new level. And he had a breakout and we know he's a good player. I think he's going to be fantastic this year. And yeah, I mean, I guess he had his... um. It was no Cooper Cup wide receiver four season, but he did have that wide receiver nine season in 2019, despite, or I mean, not wide receiver nine, wide receiver 19, excuse me, season in 2019, despite playing with a lot of Drew Locke and a lot of 
various stuff like that. I'm trying to remember who else was there. Was that the Simeon year or the Flacco year? That was the Flacco year, the Flacco and Locke year. So there's something to be said because we're getting an upgrade from Joe Flacco and Drew Locke into Russell Wilson. I love that value on Cortland Sutton. And yeah, I mean, I think he's easily going to have the best season of his career and he's being ranked right around where the previous best season of his career was. And so, I mean, it's an easy smash for me. I think he's going to be a top 12 receiver. Go ahead and draft him. Half PPR um, is what this projection is for in case people want to know for later. Anyway, two more bull takes left this off season. But now it's time for the NFC South preview. 12 questions to talk about. And let's get into it. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are first. And they, of course, are getting Tom Brady back, as we know, after he retired and unretired. And now he's coming back to a good offense. He's surrounded by a lot of playmakers, as usual, in Tampa Bay. How high should Tom Brady be going this year is the question. Tom Brady last year was actually very, very high up in terms of fantasy points. I think he, depending on the format, like he was the quarterback one in Scott Fishbowl around, I think the quarterback, yeah, he was the quarterback three in standard or regular quarterback scoring from weeks one through 17. And he's going as the quarterback eight, which is interesting. I think Tom Brady is probably due for a little bit of touchdown regression after last year, but he's still going to be as elite as ever. And I don't mind the value at quarterback eight, to be honest, because he's shown he can do it. He literally just had a top three season. You lose Antonio Brown, and that's going to hurt. And we know that has hurt Tom Brady's splits in the past. But they added Russell Gage. And, of course, they also lost Rob Gronkowski. So, I mean, they're missing some guys, but added Russell Gage. Still got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin there. Godwin is likely to only miss limited time. So I understand bumping Brady down from quarterback three, but I think for most of this season he could end up being a good player that if he slips in drafts, it's not a quarterback eight. I usually want to wait a little longer on my first quarterback, but if he slips a little bit, absolutely pull the trigger there for Tom Brady, who had an elite season last year. Let's not forget, still at the top of his game, quarterback three, and he just throws over so many yards and touchdowns. It doesn't even matter. He doesn't really run the football. Next question for the Buccaneers. Should we be concerned about Leonard Fournette, who came into camp overweight was the report the coaches were kind of downplaying that, though. I think it's no longer as much of a concern. Getting him, They're getting him back into shape doesn't sound as bad as the Eddie Lacy situation, of course, although, of course, those are the fears that he'll be like what Eddie Lacy was a few years ago. But I think Fournette's going to be just fine, and I'm getting more and more confident on him compared to how I was, how I was feeling nervous when he came into camp. Because last year, he really had an elite season. He was the RB5 despite playing just 14 games. He, and in this offense, he doesn't even have to be that elite. He's just running against so few men in the box because it's Tom Brady at quarterback. And so you can't really defend Leonard Fournette effectively, who is still a good running back. At RB13, that's absolutely a good spot to take Leonard Fournette. I really like it. If you're getting him as your RB2, I think that's awesome because he can easily have a top 12 or top 10 finish because he's done it. He did it last year. He's got plenty of upside. He's also got a safe floor. Not too concerned about Rashad White, except for maybe a few receptions here and there. But no one really cared about Giovanni Bernard either last year. I think Leonard Fournette's going to be just fine. No concerns in terms of workload. And he's really got a very high ceiling. So getting him at RB13, that's middle, late, second round. That's absolutely a pick I would consider there. Now, wide receivers. What's the approach to this wide receiver room? For me, of course, Evans is going to be the top guy here. He scores the most touchdowns, and Godwin's coming off that injury. 
Evans is the wide receiver eight, which just maybe is a tad high for me. Feels like a ceiling pick. But then again, I mean, I think he's a good bet to be a top 12 receiver next year. So it's not too bad. Godwin may miss a week or two or a few weeks to start the season, may not be back to full strength right away. Still at wide receiver 29, that's probably a fair ranking. When he comes back, I think he puts up wide receiver two numbers. And then Gage. Russell Gage may not be like a potential breakout, but he is a sleeper and he is a value in my eyes because we saw Tom Brady able to support three good receivers and Rob Gronkowski last year. I think it can happen again. And Russell Gage will have a safe target share. I don't think he's as good as Antonio Brown. Obviously, he's not. But he will be safe enough to where and open enough to where he's going to get some targets, just like he did in Atlanta. So he's going to have a safe floor that I think exceeds his draft position of wide receiver 48. So if you're looking to grab a safer guy late in the late rounds, which you usually want to take more upside shots, but I think if he drops a little bit in drafts or if you get him in that position, it's not a bad pick in terms of projecting a guy to finish higher than that. Because I think it's you can pretty confidently project that a healthy Russell Gage will finish ahead of wide receiver 48 in fantasy football at least that's my my view of it so obviously lots to like in the buccaneers offense falcons what is the qb situation here for this team it's desmond ritter and it's marcus mariota and i think it's marcus mariota to start the season both you're probably avoiding for fantasy and both are going to limit these pass catchers that's the story so i'll get to these pass catchers in a moment but i don't think you either consider mariota or ritter this season how involved will tyler algier and damian williams be is the question I think they'll be involved, but maybe not quite as much as people project. We shouldn't forget that Tyler Algier undrafted and is undrafted. And while he's having a good camp, it doesn't necessarily mean much when you're playing with the second and third team. I mean, it means good things for the team, but he's coming out of BYU, not a massive school. And I guess he was actually not undrafted. He was around five pick. But I mean, essentially, those late round running backs, they can... They don't have a very high hit rate, and it's the exception that you'll see a guy who comes in and potentially takes a starting role or even a decent amount of work. So he's looking good. That's great. He's probably the backup. He's probably over Damian Williams as the backup. But Algier doesn't seem to be like crazy for me, and neither does Williams, who hasn't done much really in a few years since he was with the Chiefs at the end of that one season. So I think Cordero Patterson is actually an interesting value that you should be considering in this backfield because he's at wide receiver or running back 35. He had a massive season last year. He was huge off the waiver wire, the RB8. Why is he this low when, yeah, sure, they added a round five guy in Damian Williams. That's not much. I mean, sure, maybe Patterson loses some work to Drake London here and there, but absolutely I like this when these quarterbacks are not very competent in Atlanta's room. And Patterson last year, I mean, he had Matt Ryan, which was obviously more of an upgrade, but I think these guys are going to have to rely a lot on checkdowns and a lot on Patterson in between the tackles and running the football. Patterson's such a good gadget player. I could easily see him being top 24 again next year. Seems like a fantastic value, worth a shot at RB35 for sure. Algier and Williams you can take later on, but I'm not buying into the hype of a round five guy right now just because of some good camp reports, even at RB52. I'd rather take a guy like Marlon Mack around that spot than Tyler Algier, who has a chance to be good, but it's a small chance. Now, last question for the Falcons. How clearly is Kyle Pitts the wide receiver one here? I think the two main targets you got to worry about are Kyle Pitts, who is the number one guy, and Drake London, who is the number two guy. And I like one at value more than the other because I've talked about this. I forget who I talked about it with. Um, I think it might have been on the Fouled Out podcast with um, Adam and Matt, Adam Fowler and Matt, which was a lot of fun. I was on their show to talk fantasy football. So, I mean, if you look through my Twitter, I think you'll be able to find that. But I, I think I talked about Kyle Pitts. 
And just the fact that I'm not low on Kyle Pitts in terms of his ADP, but it always seems like there's one guy that's willing to reach on Kyle Pitts in most leagues, one Kyle Pitts truther. And I'm going to always just not be willing to get in that bidding more. I think Kyle Pitts is a top four tight end next year with Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, and George Kittle all competing up there. But am I willing to reach into round two to grab a guy who is playing with these terrible quarterbacks? Probably not. Maybe at the back, the very back of round two, but it just doesn't seem there's still so many elite guys there. It doesn't seem like the smart move to do that when you you can let somebody else reach and pay the high cost for a potentially great player. I'm not risking it for Drake London though. He is going at what I think is a value wide receiver 37. He other than Kyle Pitts doesn't have very much competition. He's pretty much got all the target share he could want. It's going to be about if he's good and if he can come overcome this bad quarterback play. So obviously Drake London's also going to be limited by this quarterback play. And I don't think he's going to go the wide receiver one or anything, obviously, but top 24 status is not out of the question, given the amount of work he could get. He was picked with a high draft pick. The Falcons clearly loved him. He's a big bodied receiver and at his draft capital, he has a good likelihood of producing right away. So Kyle Pitts, Drake London. I like London better at cost. Pitts is fine at cost. Just depends if somebody's going to go crazy on Pitts. Don't get into a bit anymore. That's my general advice. The Panthers, here we go for the Panthers. Is there any reason to like any quarterback in Carolina? I think the answer is no for fantasy. Baker Mayfield, maybe based on the matchup. Other than that, not much. I don't like Sam Darnold. I don't like Matt Corral as potential fantasy options. That's about it. I think Mayfield being in is the best for fantasy for these players. But Mayfield, other than an occasional matchup play, um, other than the occasional Mayfield matchup play, not much I like for Panthers quarterbacks in terms of fantasy. Can we stomach CMC at the number one overall pick again? The answer is no, I can't. Yeah, I can't. And even if I could, I wouldn't because it goes just against all logic to draft a guy that high who has suffered so many injuries over the last couple of years. Drafting CMC at number two also makes some sense. I think it's high. I would take CMC at the RB3 at earliest because – I like Derrick Henry in terms of he had so much upside and maybe not in full PPR and full PPR is the CMC is the number two overall pick in half or standard. I think it's Derrick Henry who just went so crazy last year with his rushing that he did have the mega upside that JT and McCaffrey had like Henry was playing better than JT. I think until he actually ended up getting hurt. It was pretty incredible, but McCaffrey has just been hurt so much. And that made it be just because of his incredibly high usage. So anti-injury truthers will like to take CMC at number one overall. Some of them won't, and they're hypocrites for that, obviously. But at the end of the day, it's too much risk. And we've seen a guy like Jonathan Taylor have that just otherworldly ceiling. We've seen a guy like Derrick Henry do it too. So there's no point in taking CMC who, if he is the RB1 healthy. So there maybe there is a point. If he's healthy, he's the RB1. But these guys have enough upside to where I can justify CMC at three in half-point PPR leagues. That's probably where he's, he should go. I'm not stomaching CMC at the 101 again. I took it last year. I actually took it last year in a league and then traded him away. I did a lot of trading in that league, so it ended up not. I ended up not having McCaffrey, but it's pretty cool as a trading chip. What's the feeling on the wide receivers in the on the Panthers, not named DJ Moore? I think we know what DJ Moore is. I don't know if Mayfield makes him much of an upgrade. He's kind of just wide receiver 14, wide receiver 15, wide receiver 16 around that place. I'm not going to draft him really at wide receiver 14. I don't really love his upside. Outside of that, 
I don't really love anybody here. Like you got Robbie Anderson, you got Terrace Marshall. I'm intrigued by Marshall more than Anderson, who I think Marshall has more upside. Robbie maybe an occasional matchup stream. They're both not very really going very high at all. So it's kind of just DJ Moore and that's it. And whoever you want to take a shot on late random late rounds, pretty much. I mean, if Mayfield starts, it may not be too bad for some of those guys from week to week, but we'll just find out. And even if Sam Donald starts, they're gonna have to throw to somebody, but it's really McCaffrey and DJ Moore. That's their show right here. And keep in mind, Robbie Anderson wasn't really productive, even with an injured McCaffrey last year. So once McCaffrey is back and hopefully healthy, that can be difficult for him. Last team, the Saints. Could Jameis Winston be serviceable in fantasy? I think the answer is yes. Because of how much he airs the ball out and because they just got back Michael Thomas, they added Chris Olave and added Jarvis Landry, that's a heck of an upgrade. At quarterback 19, Jameis Winston is a fine pick at the end of drafts or grabbing him off your waiver wire depending on matchups. I think he's got some upside. He was the QB3 in 2019. Let's not forget. So Winston, a guy to look out for in the late rounds. Is Alvin Kamara a value right now? I think the consensus is coming that Alvin Kamara is not going to get suspended this year, or if he does, he won't miss much time. That's what we've heard from various places all over Twitter, through Davenport, who I trust for legal analysis on there, and then Adam Schefter came out with it as well. Alvin Kamara's ADP, of course, is rising. I think the days of getting Alvin Kamara in round three are gone. He is up to RB10, but that's still not high enough in my eyes. I don't. I'm getting Alvin Kamara up probably into my top eight, He really loses almost nothing for me. I'm going to bet that there's no suspension on him for Alvin Kamara. And thus, I think you can justify drafting him as high as RB6. He's still at a value right now. Less of a value than he was even a week or two ago. So I hope you had your draft early. But Alvin Kamara is a guy I'm looking for in my fantasy draft for sure in the early rounds. If I can lock him up and another elite RB, it's perfect. I love that. Last question for the Saints. Will Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, and Jarvis Landry all be able to produce? I don't think so with Kamara there, too. I mean, depending on the week, maybe all three of them can in individual weeks. I like Tom, both Thomas and Olave, though, as values. I think Jarvis Landry, we know what he is. He's kind of the consistent guy who you can just pick up off the waiver wire. There's many of him. Jarvis Landry is not really unique in terms of fantasy production. So there's really no need to prioritize that in drafts. But Thomas at wide receiver 27 should be good to go for week one based on latest reports and has lots of upside as the wide receiver one there. And then Olave, who got picked very high. The Saints liked him a lot. High draft capital, and he's going at the wide receiver 47. These are two guys I am actually very intrigued by. I think Jameis Winston, who supported two top five receivers in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin one year, or top 10, whatever it was, can definitely support both Michael Thomas and Chris Olave and Alvin Kamara all in this offense. I think it's very possible. And Michael Thomas and Chris Olave aren't going to be the next Evans Godwin, but they could be very good. And they do have that upside. I mean, I don't think that it's going to happen, but they both of them with the draft capital, the opportunity, and the past talent, I mean, with all that, both of them have some very high upside next year, in my opinion. So I like them as values. That wraps up this episode. Thank you guys for listening. Tune in to episode 150, which I'm recording in just a sec. That's the NFC West preview, also in your feed. Cardinals, Rams, Seahawks, 49ers, fantasy analysis. Don't miss it. I'll be back next week as well for two more episodes. We're nearing the fantasy season. Hit me up with questions. Don't miss fantasy football talk on Wednesday at 8 Eastern. Thanks for listening. I'll see you guys next time.